0: Throughout all eternity. How we appreciate the Lord. Thank you. My grandchildren there, and grandson and daughter-in-laws. We so appreciate that. Give them another hand. God bless you. Amen. No greater joy is there than for your children to walk in truth. And I want to thank the Lord for that today, that they walk in truth, and that we can walk in truth amen we we have treasures here in earthen vessels which is the spirit of god that comes to dwell within man we want to talk to the lord a moment father we love you and we thank you for your blessings to us as we are here lord to go tell it to the world that jesus christ is born yes he had a birth two thousand years ago but he can be born in the manger of our heart today. And We thank you, Father. We thank you for your goodness to us and your grace and your love and all that you have done, your mercies to us that endure to all generations. Lord, we want to thank you that we have this joy within our hearts of the love gift that you gave to the world. Your blessings are upon us. We thank you, Father, for all that you've given us. We ask your blessings upon your children today, upon the word as we read it together, as we just have this time today to speak a little Christmas message and share, Lord, in what you have done for us. I pray, Lord, that if there be someone that maybe their their old stinking barn of humanity has never been graced, With the gift of God I pray today That you'll take in every one of them And let there be a birth within them Where they'll know That Jesus is born within them Changing their lives forever Blessing them for eternal ages to come We ask it in the name of Jesus Bless us together today As we assemble now in your name Amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. I want to just um, wish you a Merry Christmas today. I just uh, enjoyed to be here together with you as we have gathered together in his name. Brother Branham in the message conference, he said, we want to say we appreciate you so much and we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and the best of the new year. God be with you and give you new things more of the new life that you've been seeking and hungering for. And that's what I'm doing myself is hungering for more of God. How many feels that way this morning? That's what I'm doing myself is hungering for more of God. Amen. I'm going to let you be seated. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't you just keep standing for a moment? I'm going to read some scripture. And, um, um you know, we, uh, we'll let you be seated then for a little while. And You know, I I, want to thank you for all your Christmas wishes from here and around the world that I have received today and gifts that I have received from different ones. I want to express a real appreciation to you for that. Um, You are a blessing to me in more ways than than just on Christmas. You are a blessing to me throughout the year and I want to say that I love you and appreciate you and... Thank God for you, each and every one of you. But uh, Sister Jessica um, Adams came with Brother Joe this morning and said, Well, I brought you some breakfast. And I looked in there, there's a big um, cinnamon roll like that. I said, You know, if I'll eat that, I'll have enough energy to preach all day. And Brother Joe said, Remember, it's Christmas. (laughs) He thought he was looking out for you so you know somebody needs to remind us i didn't eat the roll but but by the time this is over you may think i did amen because um as we look into the things of the lord today sometimes our cup just runs over we have a lot to talk about and speak about and to herald to the world of the blessings of god upon our lives Amen. Looking at different ones out here, just want to welcome each one. And this is your son, brother Tom, sister Nancy. Yes, God bless you. Thank you for coming today, and we appreciate you being here. And some up here with uh, brother uh, brother Mitchell, and different ones that we see over here with um, the family. Um, there with sister Trish and uh, Pruitt, and so on, like that. Whoever, wherever you're from, we're just glad you're here. Amen, and we just pray that you'll worship together with us. Brother Orlando, Sister Gina, welcome home. Amen. Can I say that? Just welcome home. Glad you're here. God bless you. Amen. Let's give all our visitors a hand this morning. Amen. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. If I miss somebody, well, God didn't miss you. I'm human. He's not. Numbers chapter 24 and verse 12 is where we'll read from before you're seated this morning. And, and uh, we'll look at where an ancient prophecy, one of the most ancient in the scripture. Of course, one predated this, which was given to Adam and Eve as they walked out of the garden that he would send a seed through the woman that would bruise the head of the serpent. But here is a prophet now, which is Balaam. He is a false prophet in in a sense, but he is an anointed one. And the reason what made him false was his doctrine was false. His anointing in this case was true. And so he actually speaks a very, very accurate prophecy. You know, uh, our whole story about Balaam would have been totally different if he'd have just stayed with what God's word said and didn't try to change it, he would be one of the heroes of faith. If he had stayed with the word of God, but instead he was what we call now a Balaam, one who who will sell out for money, popularity, or something else. Um, you know, you can sell out for a lot of reasons amen just don't have money or popularity you can sell the lord out for for a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend or you can sell him out for a a a new cadillac or a a career you can sell out the lord for a lot in a lot of different ways but balaam here is uh, saying to balak in verse 12 spake i not also to thy messengers which thou sentest unto me he's saying if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold. I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own mind, but what the Lord saith, that will I speak. And now, behold, I look unto my people, I go to my people, and, and come therefore, and I will advertise thee what this people shall do to thy people in the latter days. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor has said, the man whose eyes are open has said, he has said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty fallen into a trance, but having his eyes open, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. God bless you. You can be seated. Probably the last Christmas sermon that I preached was back in 2011. I think probably was entitled, at least I preached it one time, Christmas Another Day as Usual. We don't have a Christmas sermon every year. Normally, we, um, uh, you know, we'll continue maybe with the subjects that would bend. But being that it's um, this Sunday has landed on Christmas Day, I just wanted to talk about some things this morning that would pertain to the birth of Christ. And you know, um, you know, today it's it's a subject that is of much contention. Amongst message believers, they're pulled this way or that way as to uh, how they observe this day or don't observe this day. And some of them are strict enough. They won't even have a gathering or a meal together or, you know, saying Merry Christmas is a curse word to them. And, you know, um, they go to one extreme and then another extreme, you see them going all the way back to Santa Claus and their kids sitting on his lap and, you know, um, I, I think it's uh, really important when we're approaching this subject here to neither be on one side or the other, but to be a balanced congregation. And this is what we strive for at the Evening Light like Tabernacle is to be a balanced church. And sometimes people say, well, Brother Tim, you're, you're so much on emotion. Well, you know, no, we, uh, we know what it is. To have an emotionless religion, that's the other side. We know the other side that is, that is all emotion. But we want to be a people whose religion is not dead, but is alive. So that with the word of God, there comes emotion with it. You what Brother Tim, people get happy and even shout and they're singing. Well, that ain't right. Well, no, it's the word of God going forth in song. And we're worshiping and thanking God for his goodness to us and his blessings on our lives. I just want to talk about my own personal life for a moment, and many of you that have been here a long time have heard this story before, but um, it's my personal uh, story. Um, before I was born, my, Christian, my, my parents were Christians, and, and I, I want to thank God for Christian upbringing. I, I don't remember my parents ever smoking or drinking or living immoral lives, I I, you know there never was a television in our home. I never had, We never had one, as far as I remember, all of my life. And I want to say I had truly a blessed childhood. In the late 1940s, my mother, who was basically unchurched, she became hungry for God. She was, um, um, you know, she was a uh, an orphan in a in a way. Her mother was deaf. Had lost uh, her hearing as a child with whooping and cough, and coughed out, you know, the, with infection, coughed out her her eardrums, and and was uh, basically unable to hear. And um, my grandfather would be killed um, the day after Christmas, in and uh, when she was five years old. And so, you know, she she was not raised in church. She didn't know. Um, uh, and the middleton side of the family, this is your history too. You know they wasn't raised in church they didn't um, uh, they didn't go to church uh in their the, in those years and times and and uh, so basically, when my parents got married, he was a backslid Pentecostal boy I would say of um, that influence and and um he married my mother and and um th- you know they started as a family, and they started out without God in their family. And um, But as I said, she was basically unchurched, but she became hungry for God. My grandfather Pruitt, uh, Richard Pruitt, he knew the way of water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he showed this to her in, in the Bible and said, you know, if you're hungry for God, let me show you the way of baptism. And she embraced this truth and was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, by the one that's Pentecostals there. And I think it would that would have likely been in uh, Bossier City. And she went on to receive the experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And this change caused my parents to quit playing cards with friends and smoking. And I'm not sure that they ever drank. I don't know. There's no stories of that. I haven't done it. But my, my dad, uh, James Pruitt, he also quit smoking. Our family started attending a church at the United Pentecostal Church in Bossier City, Louisiana. And so, you know, I attended there until I was six years old. So as long as I can remember, you know, we had prayer in our home, no television, serving God, you know, seeing miraculous things take place uh, in the home where where we prayed and things that happened, such as one of my brothers whose fingers got caught in the door, you know, and, and were broken, hanging only by the flesh, and they prayed, and they all went back together and were healed. And My mother healed of cancer in 1950, um, 1957, and um, so, you know, many, many different things that God did, and seeing the miraculous hand of God. But later, at a, an outdoor brush arbor-type revival, I don't remember the facility i just remember it was outside uh 1960 i would be about turned six years old that year my dad would receive the experience of being filled with the holy ghost and it was there that you know they he would have the experience of speaking in other tongues this was a wonderful day in our home when this happened for that was a really a change that was needed because um, even though he was going to church He was um, lacking a real experience with God. And so it was after my dad experienced that, uh, sometimes shortly after that, that we would leave the United Pentecostal Church and they, and about 30 others, they started a free and independent work because of their desire to be free from organization. And uh, they, they saw the danger of it, even at that early year, 1960, and um, so, you know, as, as um, raised in a Christian home, as Christians, we honored the, the birth of Christ on Christmas Day. We had wonderful Christmases that uh, I can remember all the way up till about, um, I'm going to say the year was maybe 67 or 8. Mother would put up an evergreen tree and decorate it with beautiful Christmas ornaments. There were presents under the tree. Very little was said of Santa Claus. It was simply a, a Christian observant of, of the birth of Christ. Now, in about 1964, just before Christmas, we had our tree up and presents under it and getting ready for Christmas. My dad's mother's half-sister, which her name was Mary Nobles of Baytown, Texas. We called her Aunt Elsie, as she was known. She was a large lady with snow-white hair with the air of being holy and spiritual. And indeed, she was a woman of prayer. And um, while she was visiting us, she opened the Bible and showed us Jeremiah 10 and explained to us that God didn't want us to learn the way of the heathen and that it was heathen to have a a Christmas tree. And that very day, the, the Christmas tree was hauled out to the edge of the street for the trash men to pick up. And never again would our family have a Christmas tree. Toward the end of 1965, we started to realize that God had sent a prophet by the name of William Brown. And although my family had attended his meetings, um, and this was part of the reason for their hunger for God, because uh, my grandmother Pruitt from Tyler, Texas, an early Pentecostal believer, had given my parents the book uh, entitled A Man Sent from God. And so we knew of the moving of the Holy Spirit and what God was doing through men like William Branham or Roberts and, and uh, Jack Coe and different ones. And at first, um, we thought of Brother Branham as, as a prophet, one who was spiritual and saw visions. But as we read, we would come to come into the knowledge of more the truth. We, we began to realize that he was the seventh messenger to the Laodicean church age. It was there in Freeport we would receive our first copy of the seven church age book at those meetings. And shortly thereafter, uh, uh, of course, in December of 1965, just the day before Christmas, um, God took Brother Branham home. And as a family, we sat and we would read the church age book. This gave me a, a lot of, it equipped me to minister at a young age. You think, well, starting out to preach at 15, what did you preach? Well, you, we well, you read the church age book. The way we would do it is sit around as a family and read it paragraph by paragraph. My youngest brother would learn to read because uh, each one orally would read a paragraph, you know, and pass around to the children. There was no message churches at that time, and you know, we we're just um, little gatherings of people here and there. And we read the church's book and, you know, got as many tapes as we could. And, and uh, as I've explained to you, to own a, a set of Brother Branham's tapes would have been between ten and $12,000. Uh, and that day, that would have bought three brand new pickup trucks made by the Ford Motor Company. So, you know, it was very expensive to own a set of Brother Branham's tapes, so I did, we did what we called, we bootlegged them. We, anytime we heard of somebody having a tape, we would borrow it and copy it. You know, we, my, my dad's uh, oldest brother would pass away in 1961, and he willed to my dad a a, uh, a tape player. Uh, and, and those things were not common in that day, you know, to, um, a reel-to-reel. Reel. Every family didn't own one. And so it would be with that that we would be able to listen to those tapes and hear them, and, and of course, um, we would wear out that one and go, go through many other ones. I just say, you know, I, I can remember, Karen and I, when we got married, um, I I wanted a good tape player. I didn't have one for my home. So, you know, uh, it cost me for the hospital for, for Timothy was... was um, and $200 for the hospital, that's $500. Well, it was $377 to buy a tape player. But I had to have one. You know, I I had to be able to to, to listen. So we pinched pennies, we sacrificed, we did everything we could to get the message, to hear it, to know what God said to this generation. And uh, of course, as we um, read the, the church age book, We learned how that the church went astray from the first age. And then we learned about God's um, work of restoration for seven ages. And we learned of the introduction of paganism into the Christian church. Things such as three gods and uh, the Trinity doctrine, a formula of unscriptural baptism using titles of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Instead of the way the original church at Pentecost performed that Sacred act, and we learned uh, of other unscriptural things that was accepted as a part of our worship, including how the birth of Christ came to be associated with the pagan celebration of the sun god's birthday. And we learned that December the twenty fifth was not exactly the day of Christ's birthday, but um, but this particular day was really closer to the sun god's birthday. And, you know, this was a political move that had happened with Constantine in Rome where that he would kind of make a holiday, a national holiday. And for the pagans, they already had this, you know, for um, uh, a celebration of the sun God's birthday. And so he just made one for the Christians, son of God's birthday. And uh, so, you know, it would, it would, um, he wanted to show that, uh, you know, that he really he didn't want to quit doing his pagan things and following the pagan ways. So he wanted to uh, integrate a Christian theme into a pagan holiday. So he would mix it for political reasons and uh, would call it the son of God's birthday. But of course, we, we know that, Christ was not born, no doubt, in December. The shepherds were out in the fields. Um, he was born as a lamb, and no doubt during the time of lambing season. And so it would probably be in the springtime, uh, not in December. And during this time of learning of how the church had went astray, we determined to have to know nothing of pagan. Or have anything to do with pagan, or or anything of pagan origin. Uh, of course, you know there was other tracts that was being floated around and passed around, uh, you know, uh, against Christmas by the Jehovah's Witness and different other ones. You know that had the the same kind of venue of thought, and and honestly, it didn't help Christmas at all that Brother Branham died at Christmas time, and it put a, a real dark. Brooding shadow over um, Christmas. And it didn't help either that we didn't have many of the sermons of Brother Branham's. So really very little was known about it except what was in the church age book and a few quotes that other people gathered from tapes they heard and put together. And these would be, you know, quotations that were only taken out um, and many of them taken out of context. It would be just totally against Christmas and its pagan side and wouldn't even give us a glimpse into what Brother Branham did. And many of these quote books, as I said, they favored um, quotes. uh, um, uh, They were made up of favored quotes, but unfortunately they gave us a biased view. In other words, they just collected what they wanted for a certain view and left out the others. And you can imagine our surprise when we found out that Brother Abram never, ever referred to Jeremiah 10 as a Christmas tree. And not only that, but he continued to have a tree as part of his observance of Christmas up to the last Christmas in 1965. And I just want to say Jeremiah 10 is not a scripture concerning the Christmas tree, but it's a comparison between Jehovah God and idols. And the warning in Jeremiah is against idolatry and the worship of wooden statues that are covered with gold and silver. It's not a warning against having greenery in the home as a cheerful decoration. It has nothing to do with that. In, the, in those days of limited resources and sermons of Brother Branham, many message ministers, myself included, we preached that Christmas was a pagan celebration, which that's true for many. But we also preached that we were not to observe it. And it was felt strongly by some that the principles of faith were, you know, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and no Christmas. He was right there with, uh, I mean, uh, the very most important doctrines and beliefs and fundamental truths of the message. And for us, we couldn't in good, good conscience wish anybody a Merry Christmas as it, as it was not Christian, it was pagan. So, you know, we, we couldn't just really say have a happy time being a pagan. You know, so, you know, we, we, it, it raised up a whole generation of some very um, narrow-minded, legalistic, self-righteous, prideful people. And, uh, you know, this would continue for some time. By 1990, we had more tapes and printed sermons available. And by now, I was, I was acquainted with quotes like this one from God's Wrapped Gift. I got a little boy small enough yet to kind of want a Christmas tree and we had it in the room. And oh my goodness. And this morning go under there and I found several gifts. No, no, no. From my church here, my friends from different places and that come in laying under the tree and I don't have enough words expressed to you what I, how I appreciate every one of them, and may the God of heaven bless you richly, is my prayer, and we were, you know, this flew in the face of everything that many believed and taught, and, you know, our thoughts were, surely Brother Branham knew this was wrong, and he wanted to stop it, you know, I mean, surely he did, I mean, um, there's things that he says about the Christmas tree, and and the paganism, and so on, and, Maybe, maybe we reasoned that he just found it different as a parent to stop something that children thought was so wonderful. There just had to be a reason for this. And, you know, as a pastor and a shepherd of the sheep, I've never wanted to be wrong. I want to be right. You know, I, I've been wrong many times. But it ain't because I wanted to be. And uh, so I determined to study out this subject, and I was going to prove once and for all, I was going to settle this question once and for all that Brother Branham was against any kind of Christmas observance. And so with all his sermons on the computer, I in the early 1990s, I was now able to do an extensive study on Christmas on that subject. I would look up every quote that he had, and I was going to go through them, I was going to show the progression because I realized by now that, you know, revelation would come to Brother Branham and as he did, he would build on it to the end of his ministry. And I was going to show, you know, that, uh, how that it had progressed and, and that, we were, that he no longer wanted anything to do with this because that, that was the way that I viewed it and that's the way that I was sure Brother Branham did. And what I discovered that what I believed and how I taught it and how I applied the things that Brother Branham taught were different from the way he believed and applied them. Well, you know, this left me with a dilemma. Do I just silently just quit preaching about Christmas? Cause I mean, every year I blasted the thing. I sent you to hell. I burned you and roasted you with fire for even having a shred. Of a Christmas pencil, or a wrapping a paper, or receiving a gift, or giving a gift, or having a tree, or God forbid, any of it. And so, you know, how do I do this? What do I do? I mean, I, I'm I, I'm I'm kind of overwhelmed. I'm looking at it, and I I, I, I see what it, my attitude toward the whole thing, and Brother Branham's attitude toward it is two, two way, two different spectrums. He's He's doing one thing. I'm over here on the other side. I ain't no way applying what Brother Branham taught and believed and as, as he did. Now, there's some who who want to say, "Well, you know, we're to do what he said, not do what he did." That's ridiculous. I believe Brother Branham believed what he preached, and he oh, he practiced what he preached. Amen. So you know, there there again, um, you know, I. Uh, so that year, I was, I was kind of faced with a dilemma, what i I do? So what I did was I, um, I gathered all those quotes together and placed them topically. I didn't leave any of them out. I didn't choose some favorite ones that I liked and just take one side or then another. I put everything else out there. And I made a little quote book for the whole church for, with my findings. And I gave every family uh, a, a little booklet there of all the quotes of Brother Branham's on Christmas, so they could just decide for themselves what to do. Now, in those days, um, you may not know it, but I actually helped answer questions for Brother George and Sister Rebecca Smith, Brother Branham's daughter, um, to be put in the Only Believe magazine. People would write in and ask questions, and they would forward some of those questions to me and Brother Donnie and some others, and we would um, we would all we would answer them, and then they would glean from that and edit it and and answer those questions and you know as they saw fit. So I was kind of a, in one sense, a ghost writer for that. And um, so I, because of that, I I took the liberty to call Sister Rebecca and ask her about their Christmas traditions, what they did as a family, and. And, and I, I said, You know, what I want to ask you about today is about Christmas. And she immediately got defensive, you know, and said, Well, I'll tell you what, George and I do for Christmas. We, we buy each other a suit and we donate it to a missionary. And I said, Well, you know, that's good. That's really nice. I said, I, I, I think that's great. I said, But that's not what I want to know. I want to know what did Brother Branham do? What did y'all do as a family? And um, so, as I, as I talked with her, um, you know, I, I, she said, well, you know, every year, you know, we would go and out and dad would take the station wagon or the truck and we'd go out in the woods. Um, you know how it used to be around here. You'd go on any property and as long as you wasn't destroyed, nothing. You know, nobody cared if you took a little sapling. So, you know, they would go out and they would cut a little tree down and he'd take it back to the house and they would decorate it. And, you know, string it with popcorn and lights and different things, decorate it as as they do a Christmas tree. And I said, Well that's good. I said, well, but I mean what about the last years of Brother Branham's life? You know, I mean Um, there, there's a quote that they want to take and say, I want to get away from all this nonsense of all this swapping of gifts and things. I said, did he try to get you to, to stop? And, and y'all didn't have a tree no more. And she said, well, let me tell you about the last Christmas. And I interrupted her, and I said, 1964. No, no, no. She said, 1965. And I argued with her, and I said, no. I said, he died before Christmas Day in 1965. Yes, but in Tucson, we were getting ready to go to there. I was going to stay home, and we were building the house there, and we were um, preparing for for mom and dad to come back. Dad and mom was going to go out with the family to the... um, uh, to, to, to celebrate Christmas at, at home in Jeffersonville And, and uh, so, you know, mom had said to dad Mita had said to Brother Bill um, Bill, don't, don't go and we're not going to do any decoration here We'll do all that when we get there Because, you know, I don't want to worry about fixing anything here When we get to Jeffersonville, we'll do it there and uh, Brother Branham didn't say nothing. He disappeared. Of course, you know they're in Arizona. Well, you just don't go to the neighbor's farm and cut down a little tree. Or you cut down a cactus, But you don't cut down a tree. So he went to the nearest little department store and she said he had bought the ugliest little artificial tree I ever saw in my life. Just a little cheap tree. And he was there in the living room, assembling it, putting it together and decorating it. Mom comes in and says, Bill, I told you we were going to decorate when we got to, to, to Jeffersonville. We wasn't going to do anything here. He said, oh, Anita, this is for the kiddies. And he went right on whistling and having a good time decorating his tree. That was Brother Brown. Well, you know, that blew out my theory <laughs> of it all progressing and Brother Branham, we getting away from it. I, I begin to see that, you know, that my whole concept of the whole thought of Christmas had been wrong. And I want to just say about the, the Christmas tree, there's really nothing in the Bible that either commands us or prohibits Christmas trees. Don't tell you to do it, and don't tell you not to do it. And that's the way I am this morning. I'm not telling you to do it. Somebody come and said, Brother Tim, you know, he said, I'm, I'm one of your biggest fans. He said, you're number two. I said, I don't know what that means. He said, well, Brother Bannerman, then you. I said, oh, that's nonsense. I said, I'm not trying to be. But he said, Brother Tim, why are you bringing the Christmas tree back in the message? I said, me? Bringing Christmas tree? I've never told somebody to have a Christmas tree in my life. I said, you know, that's your own personal decision on what you want in your home. I'm not telling anybody to have it, and that's the way I am today. And, but the Bible doesn't tell you to have one, and the Bible doesn't tell you not to have one. And you say, well, Jeremiah 10, listen, let me just say this. I believe firmly that Brother Branham was a prophet of God. I believe that he brought what was necessary for us to know for a rapture. Don't you believe that? And I believe that if he being a prophet knew that, lay in the scripture, and didn't tell us he was derelict in his duty. But I believe that uh, that he never, re- I, well, you can search it yourself, never one time does he ever refer to Jeremiah 10 as being the Christmas tree. He refers to Jeremiah 10 in the, in, in the message um, the sign of his coming, but he doesn't take a moment and say, now that's Christmas tree when he reads it. And so it's the only reference there is to, to um, Jeremiah 10. And, and so it's a false claim. Um, and, uh, brother, and Brother Branham never once used Jeremiah 10 to refer to Christmas tree. And, and like I said, if it was, surely the seventh angel to the seventh church age would have made it known And would have told us so. And um, so, you know, even a quick reading of the text will make it clear that the passage is one where Jeremiah sets um, forth the prohibition against idols made of wood and plated with silver and gold and worshiped. And actually, um, we could read in Isaiah 44, if you want to write that down in your notes, that, um, that in Isaiah 44, there's... Uh, the similar scripture that's kind of parallel to Jeremiah where that he speaks of the silliness of idol worshipers who cut down a tree. And he describes in, in Isaiah 44, he said part of it, they burn, they heat with, and they cook, and then the other part, they make a God out of it. And carve um, carve it into an idol and pray to it and, and prostrate down to it. And, and then he compares it with Jehovah, and what a great God the God of Israel is. So there is absolutely no spiritual significance to having or not having a Christmas tree. Whatever choice we make, the motive of your decision should be like, as a matter of conscience to please the Lord. Whatever you believe that would please the Lord, you know, it's and, and you have the liberty to do so or not to do so. And each one should be convinced in his own mind. Uh, like the Bible said, whether he regards one day special or, or, or another day, you know, not so special. But I think the Lord is greed when believers look down on one another for either celebrating or not celebrating Christmas in a particular way. I, I think it's spiritual pride. You know, th- this is not something to take to the internet and put your favorite quotes you know, to battle against others who like Christmas or believe in it or and so on like that. I think we should be living on a higher plane of spirituality. And, um, and so we shouldn't use our freedom in Christ and use it to create divisions within his body and thus dishonor the Lord. You see, enmity, strife, jealousies, outbursts of angers, disputes, dissensions, factions are all works of the flesh. And so I I think it's wrong. I get embarrassed by message believers airing their dirty laundry out on social media for the world to say, I think that's wrong. I think you're doing a discredit. I don't care if you're trying to defend it or not. You'll not find me doing it on there. Now, but Jeremiah 10 is not a condemnation of a Christmas tree. It's a condemnation of idols which are made of wood from a tree and crafted and formed by man. And then it it describes them as gold and silver beat into plates. Notice, beat into plates, not making Christmas balls or whatever and hanging on the tree. Beat into plates and then using that to form or to decorate a piece of wood that has been carved out. That you made an idol with it. So let's just go to Jeremiah ten. For a moment, I'm going to take enough time to do this, if you don't mind, and I'm going to use um, a modern translation while you look at the King James here that we're going to put on the screen, and it says, "Hear what the Lord says to you, people of Israel. This is what the Lord says: Do not learn the ways of the nations, or be in terrified. Be terrified by signs of the heavens, uh, though the nations are terrified by them. For the practices of the people are worthless." They cut down a tree out of the forest and a craftman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammers and nails so it won't totter like a, a scarecrow in a cucumber field. Their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Uh, do not fear them. They can do no harm, neither can they do any good. Now, I, I'm just going to say, if you read, and then go back to Jeremiah 1, again, 1 and 1, or 10 and 1. Hear ye the word of the Lord, which the Lord speaketh unto you, the house of Israel. Next. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of the heavens, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain, for one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of a workman with the axe. Next. And they deck it with silver and with gold and they fasten it with ambers and nails that it move not. You know, if that was all that you had right there and you just took that out, well, you could easily say that looks like a Christmas tree to me. But if you look, said they're upright as a palm tree, they speak not, they must needs be carried because they cannot go. Don't be afraid of them. They can't do evil, neither is it in them to do good. And so, you know, again, you know, it shows you that this is just something that's really harmless. It can't do good. It can't do bad. It's it, Because it's an idol that they have made, and they're bound down to worship it. Like, like Isaiah says, you know, they'll take a tree, they'll cut it down, they'll craft it, they'll make an idol out of it, they'll burn part of it, and warm by part of it, and cook by part of it, and then worship part of it. So, but then if you go back to verse 6, you see the comparison now, what he's doing. Comparison with, you know, the idols of the nations with, with um, Jehovah God. Now, what's the comparison. For as much as there's none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great and thy name is great. You're great and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, king of nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdom, there is none like you. Then it it tells again how worthless these idols are. That men can cut and carve from a tree and use in hammered silver and gold. They plated the wood with gold and silver and dressed it with blue and purple. They were absolutely making an idol that of something that they cut out and they had to be carried. They couldn't carry their cells. He, he goes on, they said they're all, verse, verse eight, um, they're all senseless and foolish. Um, it, it, they are taught by these worthless wooden idols. Hammered silver is brought from Tarsus. And it says silver spread in the plate or hammered silver is brought from Tarsus and gold what the craftsmen and goldsmith have made is then dressed in blue and purple and all made by skilled workers so they're they're god's made out of the work of somebody's hands but verse 10 but the lord is the true god he is the living god He is the eternal king, and when he's angry, the earth trembles, and the nations cannot endure his wrath. Tell him this, these gods who did not make the heavens and earth will perish from the earth and from under heaven. He said, these gods, these idols, they're going to perish. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom. He stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders the waters in the heavens roar, he makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the the rain and brings out winds from his storehouse. Verse 14, but everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. The images he makes are a fraud. They have no breath in them. They are worthless, the objects of mockery. And when their judgment comes, they will perish. Verse 16 talks about Jehovah. He who is the portion of Jacob is not like these, for he is the maker of all things, including Israel, the people of his inheritance. The Lord Almighty is his name. And like I said, if you want to read a comparable scripture, you can go to Isaiah 40, 40, um. 44 and 6 and, and read from there. And we're not gonna read it today for the sake of time. But you know, I, I just want to say as we are here today, and of course, I wanted to have service today because we are observing today as Christians and the world is observing the what they call the birthday of Christ. And some have asked me, would we cancel church for that? And I said, No. If it's a day about honoring Christ, well, we're going to come to the house of God and honor him. But you will find that though Jesus' birthday is now observed on a day close to the sun, God's birthday, that Brother Branham didn't deem it wrong to observe the birth of Christ on the 25th day of December. To him, it was just simply another day set aside uh, to remember God's great gift of a Savior to the world. He viewed Christmas as a day of worship. He did not believe it wrong to observe this day of remembrance by giving family members or friends the gift. He gave them, he received them. His church would give him and Brother Neville gifts. They would receive them and thank the congregation for them. He did not view it wrong to have a Christmas tree. And, and I say that, like I said, because he practiced that all the way until the last thing, last, last Christmas in 1965. What he was adamantly against was sharing your observance today with uh, uh, that's supposed to be of Christ with Santa Claus. Santa as the gift giver to children. He was vehemently against giving a gift that would some way reflect evil. For example, a deck of cards, whiskey, cigarettes, anything that would dishonor Christ. He would mention those in particular. And um, he bemoaned the fact that many children have nothing and while others have plenty. You know, I I know that kind of pains a lot of people. You know, sometimes when we have been blessed with so much and some others have so little. I remember Brother Jim Middleton, your grandfather Jonathan, my mother's brother, Christmas would bring back painful memories. His daddy was shot and killed by his own brother the day after Christmas when he was two and a half years old. The live Santa Claus had been told to him if he'd be good that Santa would bring him gifts. He saw the other kids with shiny new bikes and toys and his witted mother, witted mother could hardly provide him a meal. And he resented Santa and he resented poverty and it caused him to resent Christmas. And... Um, You know, Brother Branham said something about that. He said, why, they started buying Christmas presents months ago, and what is it but a heathen trade? There's nothing about it godly. Oh, they say, they try to say, give gifts to the wise men. That's just an oasis for a devil's excuse. They want to give, you want to give something, that's your life to Christ. Don't give to one another, give to him. And that's what he died for. That's his purpose of coming. And I want to just say people do use this as an oasis for a devil's excuse. How many little demon type toys and rock and roll tapes or CDs or rap CDs or gifts um, to to the wrong kind of music or, um, you know, whiskey or cigarettes, even dope are bought and given as a tribute of, of God coming to flesh in Christ. This is blasphemy. You know, your your attitude um, should be, if we're going to observe this moment and this time, it's a day set aside to, to stop and remember God sent a gift in the world. And our attitude should be, let's keep it about Christ. Yeah. And if we give a gift, Brother Brandon received guns. He received um, knives. He received um, other uh, overcoats and suits and hats and scarfs and Bibles, uh, th- those things uh, you know don't represent something that is horrible or, or ungodly. And uh, but nevertheless, you know, he gave gifts to his children. He gave gifts to his wife. He talks about this. He gave. He said, I, I, "I'd like to give everybody in the church a gift." They had a little tradition, and as he was a pastor, that every child would get a little bag with an apple and an orange and, and maybe a little, I don't know, toy on the inside. I don't know what it would be. But anyway, some candy. And every child would get one. That was passed out at Branham Tabernacle every Christmas. So, you know, this is the way Brother Branham did it. And so, so I, I want to say that your attitude toward Christmas should be this. First, it, should, it was not a celebration. But it's to be a holy observance of the day. And Brother Branham made this a day of worship. He worshiped God as he wished others a Merry Christmas. He worshiped the Lord as he sent out Christmas cards to friends and family. He worshiped the Lord as he gave meaningful gifts in remembrance of the gift that God gave back to the earth. He resented it, really resented it, that Christ was taken out of Christmas. And that gifts were given that, was, that didn't reflect the gift that God gave. For example, a pack of cigarettes or a bottle of whiskey like we talked about. Brother Branham said um, in, in this, in a greeting to his church, a very Merry Christmas to every one of you. Remember my saying, this is not Santa Claus. This is for Jesus. You see, Christmas means Christ. And, uh, and he said, you see, we were writing last night, showing the kiddies all the house decorated and everything, which is awful nice. But I thought if I ever had anything on my house that I ever wanted to write would be a neon sign, trusting Christ will be in your Christmas. That's right. Put Christ back into Christmas. Well, now, that flies in the face of a many of the legalistic side because they don't believe Christ belongs in Christmas at all. That we shouldn't have a day at all to, to observe the day the, the birth of Christ. Never, We shouldn't have a day set by. The Bible didn't say that we should, and, and the Bible didn't say that we shouldn't. And the Bible didn't give us a certain day. But the Bible does give us the fact that Jesus was born, and accounts of his birth, and people worshiping at his birth. Amen. And gifts given because of his birth. Is somebody with me? So the Bible does tell us that. So, you know, it's more biblical, if you want to say it, to do it than not do it. Now, and again, Brother Branham said in Acts of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're approaching Christmas time, and here are the things uh, Here things are decorated all up with Santa Claus instead of Jesus. They don't even spell it anymore. Uh, Xmas, X-M-A-S. They don't even spell Christ in Christians, in Christmas anymore. Uh, People never even think anything about the birth or anything of Christ, what it's really for. Instead, they think it's about Santa Claus that took its place. And instead of rejoicing under the spirit of God, they go out and get drunk and rejoice. And that's what makes the difference. And then he says, I, uh, again, I saw a little sign today. I was going to eat my breakfast down the city. Put Christ back in Christmas. I said, amen. That's good. Not only Christmas, but every day. Put him back in the church. Bring him back to earth again. Put him in action. Let Christ, uh, the Christ of God stand in his church because he said, I'll be with you even in you to the end of the world. Then he goes on to explain again, Christmas does not mean Santa Claus. Christmas means Christ. is not some man with a pipe in his mouth and coming down the chimney teaching your children such as that, what do you expect them to grow up to be? Tell them the truth, not some fictitious story. Tell them there's a God in heaven who sent his son, and that's what Christmas means. So today, Santa is a replacement for Jesus Christ, and that's why including Santa makes it a pagan celebration. I just want to say, Santa ought not be seen anywhere in your observant of Christ, not on your clothes, I want to say, keep him out of your worship, keep him out of your songs, keep him out of your home, keep him, uh, you know, out of, keep him out of Christmas and keep your kids off his lap. I, you know, I I get embarrassed when I see, not you here in the church, but I've seen message people, you know, with pictures of their kids or grandkids and, you know, uh, sitting in the lap of Santa Claus and I say, What? We know better than that. You know Santa got into the celebration part for a purpose of replacing Jesus Christ right. as being the reason of the season. Yeah. And so, you know he he is you know Jesus has hair white like wool in Revelation 1:14. Santa's got hair white hair like wool. You know Jesus hour of coming is a mystery told in the book of, of Luke and Mark, and Santa's hour of his coming is a mystery. Jesus is a carpenter. Santa's a toy carpenter. Jesus comes as a thief in the night. Santa comes like a thief in the night and even gains interest to home down the chimney like thieves have done. So Jesus is omnipotent and all-powerful, and Santa is omnipotent. He delivers all the toys in one night to the whole world. That's pretty powerful. Jesus is omniscient. He knows all and Santa is omniscient. He knows if every single child has been good or bad for the whole year. You know, Jesus is omnipresent and so is Santa. He sees you when you're awake or when you're asleep. He has to be everywhere at once. Jesus is ageless and eternal and Santa lives forever. Jesus is a giver of gifts. Santa's a giver of gifts. You see, we're told to go boldly before the throne of grace for our help in time of need. We're to approach Christ Jesus that way. Children are asked to approach Santa's throne to ask for anything they want. Right. Jesus commands children to obey their parents. Santa says, obey your parents, be good. Jesus wants the little children to come to him. Santa bids the children to come to him. Jesus judges and Santa judges where well, we're naughty or nice. Jesus is called the everlasting father. Santa is called Father Christmas. Jesus is the Christ child. Santa is also called Kris Kringle, which means the Christ child in Austrian and German language. You know, you know Jesus knows all our sins. Santa Knows who's naughty or nice. But for us, we don't come in the way of the pagans to commemorate or pay tribute to Christ with Santa Clauses and revelry and drunkenness and given gifts that don't reflect decency and holiness. It's a day set aside to commemorate the birth of Christ. And it's not his birthday. We know that. But it's just like Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is not the day pilgrims ate turkey with the Indians. But it's a day set aside to remember and give thanks for freedom in this country. So we observe Thanksgiving on a certain day set aside for that purpose. And, and we, again, Christmas is not the day that Jesus was born. It's just a day designated to stop for a moment. And the world stops for a moment. And at least some of them, and I hope all of us, you know, stop to thank God for the gift that God gave to the world. And we show that thankfulness with, with Jesus making us a home for giving us family, for gathering together, for sharing a meal together, for giving gifts and joy and having a wonderful time and making memories. And in doing so, we are worshiping God. We are honoring Christ with our lives by these things. Now, Brother Brandon said, I don't believe that Christ was born on 25th day of December. I don't believe that at all. And he said, now, let me make this clear. I do not believe Jesus would care what day you worshiped his birthday on, if it's the 25th, 26th, whether it's April, May, June, or July, whatever it may be, just so you worship him on any day. So Brother Brandon said, it really doesn't matter. You know, no, it's not the day, but if it was July you picked the day. You know, it's a stopping to remember that God sent a gift to the world. So you know Christ was no doubt probably born in the spring he wasn 't born there. The pagans have their their celebration. people make this in a day of revelry and they 're making it a day of um uh, that is wrong that is you know everything make commercial day out of it and, and Santa Claus has stole all the worship from christ that 's right you know it's you know it's um and so you know the as Brother Bradham said, they can tell you more about Santa Claus or Davy Crockett or some of them. But listen to what he said. But that doesn't take the real thing away from we Christians. Amen. You see, now, of course it does. For some Christians, they don't observe it at all. But, you know, again, for us, it don't take the real thing away from we Christians. You see... Always light shines its best in the darkness. The, the fork lightning and the black cloudy skies at night shows there can be a light in the darkness. And when the light's shining, you don't see. If the sun's shining, you don't need much light. The light's too much. When it's darker, the smaller the light, the greater it'll shine in the darkness. Darkness, the better showing, shows itself better. And, and um, uh, that's more than less, we Christians ought to be testifying to the glory of God, given his sons to us. This Christmas ought to be an outstanding thing. We Christians ought, no matter how much it looks, it'll it'll make it shine that much better. The whole world's got tinsel. We've got Christ. And that's what we ought to be letting shine in this dark hour that we're now living. So he goes on to say, what if there wasn't a real Christmas? If there had not been a real Christmas, well, there wouldn't be the way they are tonight. Things wouldn't be the way they are tonight. If there wasn't a Christmas, there wouldn't be no salvation. And now we're facing Christmas again. It's too bad we have changed the real meaning of it being the birth of Christ until it looks like Santa Claus has taken his place. And some fiction of a Kris Kringle coming down a chimney with a sack of toys on his back that visits the whole world in one night. Let me share a poem with you, Brother Daryl Ward shared with with us. If there was no Christmas, then where would I be? If God's Christmas present wasn't placed on a tree. If there'd been no Christmas, there'd been no guiding star. There'd been no angels announcing no wise men from afar. If there'd been no Christmas, there'd be no peace on earth. there'd been no shepherds coming to worship the Christ child's birth. If there would have been no Christmas, what more can I say? No hope for man, no love today. But there is a Christmas. I know it true not. Christ in a manger, but Christ in you. There is Christmas. God keeps his word. I've seen his star in his voice. I have heard. Come see the Jesus. He's on earth today. He is the truth, the life, the way. Yes, there is a Christmas, my heart proclaims. Christmas is Christ and Jesus is his name. So Brother Branham talks about this, of how that the day has become polluted. But he said, in this dark hour, in this hour of darkness, as I say that we live in, still Christians should be holding forth the light that there is a truth to Christmas that it is the birth of Jesus Christ the Son of God the zigzag forked lightning into the dark cloudy angry skies shows there can be light in darkness it proves there can be light in the time of darkness but he said here's what it is they have taken the sacredness from Christmas to make it not a Christmas but a, a, a worship day but a celebration you hear People say we're going to celebrate Christmas. That's wrong. We should never celebrate Christmas. Christmas is a day of worship, not a celebration. We celebrate Lincoln's birthday, Washington's birthday, down deep south. We'd celebrate Lee's birthday or Jackson. Their birthday is a celebration, but the birthday of Christ, I believe, should be a day of consecration and worship. Instead of tonight of people at church on their knees praying and thanking God for the real um, Christmas gift, now he s- describes the celebration that he abhors high-heeled shoes and painted faces and frock-tailed coats and goblets of whiskey will be tipped to one another with tens of thousands times a thousand dollars worth of whiskey and cigars and cigarettes will be distributed tonight when thousands of poor little hungry children lay without a bite to, to eat or place to lay their head. Worship what we need, Celebrations. what we got. Then he goes on to say, here the other day, my wife was telling me somebody, someone said, I, I know what to get daddy. Um, he said, Brother, uh, brother's going to get a quart of whiskey. The other's going to get him some champagne. The other said, I'm going to get him a poker set, celebration of Christmas, pagan devil worship. So you see, again, this is the way that Brother Branham viewed it. You know, if you do it this way, it's devil worship. If it's, you do it this way, it's true worship. So it depends on your approach to it. Again, Brother Branham said in the, in the message, um, um, and, and this has been a favorite of, of many, um, and, and actually he's having a, an altar call in the sense, asking people to come to Christ. Won't you accept the Christmas gift? And he is saying it in third person. Um, uh, I want to follow the the I want to follow the morning star Christ. I want to follow, I want to find Jesus this day. I want to get away from all this Christmas tinsel and things because somebody someday is going to be burnt with unquenchable fire and all of those who are intolerated with it will be burned with it. The world, the sinner will be punished and they will perish with the world and the worldly loving people will perish with the world and And if you have, though, still the love of the world in you and you want to sell yourself completely tonight to Jesus Christ and his word, raise your hand. Again, anybody uh, that hasn't raised, God bless you. God bless you. I just say that. God bless you, lady. Now, so, I mean, he's making like an altar call. And he's saying, you know, we want to get away from this Christmas tinsel. And, And he said, you know, because all it's going to burn and all that's intolerated with it, will burn with unquenchable fire. But I want to make this clear to you. God is not going to burn you with unquenchable fire for a shiny piece of paper on a Christmas present. Or tinsel. You know, tinsel is a a shiny shred of aluminum or gold-colored shreds of paper. It's just cheap. It's not gold. It's not silver. It's just some, something cheap, you know, but, but it makes something look fancy, right? But it's not the tinsel on a tree, nor the tinsel on a gift that is going to send you to hell. It is the superficial worship of God, the tinsel of religion. Coming to God with a superficial religion Just like a shiny piece of paper Worthless That's what's going to send you to hell Because you didn't come in sincerity and truth It's not because you had a, a piece of paper on, 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 uh, that, that you had a, a shiny piece of paper That's not sending you to hell That's ridiculous You think about it for a moment, it's stupid Sorry That's Southern for not being smart. (laughs) But nevertheless, you know, I mean, uh, this is crazy. God's not sending you to hell for a little shard of paper because you got it on a tree or because you got it on a gift or because you hold it in your hand or because you decorate the walls with. God is not going to send you to hell for that. God will send people. They will be lost because they rejected God's gift it is, you see, what they did is they taken God's gift and they wrapped him in the wrappings of some denominational traditions with a fancy bow on it, you know, of, of stained windows and, and uh, you know, a liturgy and, and celebrations and of a service instead of the spirit of God there. And God's, God's they, they were like the moron Brother Bradham preached about. And he said, you know, he got the gift and he threw the gift away and he kept the box and the wrappings. And he said, this is what they've done. They've thrown out Christ and they've taken the wrappings of denominations instead. This is what is going to cause people to miss the rapture. It ain't a shred of paper. Don't be silly. You know, so, you know, here again, you know, I, I, I just want to say, you know, if you want to, if you want to give someone a present, you know, just make sure it's something that wouldn't be in dishonor to Christ. If you do something, you know, you just keep it about Jesus. Remember, we're not observing this way as a, as a celebration of drunkenness and parties. We are coming together, observing the day to remember God's gift just like we would for Thanksgiving, to remember and be thankful for what God gave. So God bless you. Amen. Now I'm going to preach. Is that the Don't give me that cinnamon roll. I need it about now. The Bible said, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Seth. He will defeat all of the foes of God's people as the great star and the scepter. Oh, think about him for a moment. He makes it clear that the reason why that he's coming, he's coming to defeat your enemies. This star would rise up out of Jacob A redeemer would come, and when this redeemer, he would heal the wounds. He would lift up the brokenhearted. He would set the captive free. He would open the eyes of the blind. He would heal the sick. He would raise the dead, because he would be a star that would shine upon the word of God that would say he was wounded for your transgression and he was bruised for your iniquity and the chastisement and the weapons we ought to get, he took them for us so that by his stripes, we could be healed. I want you to know, friends, there has been a star that has risen and in that star, in the light of that star, brings healing and deliverance and freedom and joy and peace. If you've ever had him in your heart, it dispels the darkness. For the day star rises in your heart, and when he comes, he pushes about the darkness. There's a lot of stories in the Bibles about this event. The wise men and traditions say there were three of them, and that was based on the giving of three gifts. But no one knows how many there was. I mean, there could have been 12. There could have been 50. I don't know how many there was, but they brought three gifts. Whatever, they were, they were watching and the signs for signs in the heavens. And we should also be looking for signs of his coming. Remember, he said, I will show great signs and wonders in the heavens and upon the earth. This would be things that he would do in this end time as he pours out his spirit. And these wise men were looking for, and they were watching the heavens for signs of his coming. And I think that's what true wise men to do today. Amen, they're they're not just listening to CNN and Fox News and what Russia is doing and and the building of the the biggest bombs and they're getting ready to destroy the world. They're looking for the signs of his coming. Every child of God today ought to be doing that even when you're together in this building today. You ought to be looking for his coming. I don't mean the rapture, I'm talking about him coming to your pew, coming to your heart, dealing with your life, imparting revelation, giving you a gift, and then setting you aside, calling you out, adopting you into his kingdom, putting his robe upon you, identifying you as his son. That's what we ought to be doing, looking for the king to walk among us today everybody should be looking for the king to come the Bible calls these wise men and they were looking for a king wise men today are still looking for a king they want a king you know there's a lot of different men you know Elvis king of rock and roll you know this and king of this king of that king of this king of that but I'll tell you, Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. There's none like him. Let me tell you, I don't have to compare him with an idol. Jeremiah did that good, Isaiah did it. But I'll just say, there is none like Jehovah. There is none like my Jesus. There's no God like him that hadn't one one before him or be after him. Amen. He is Alpha. He is Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the root and the offspring. He's the bright and the morning star. He's also the evening star. He's the all in all. He encapsulates all the scripture. It all is embodied in him. He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So all that God is, he is. He's wonderful. The prophet would see him coming. And he said, it's a child going to be born. But I'm saying this child, his name will be called Wonderful. This one's coming. He's wonderful. He's awesome. Amen. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Mighty God. He's the Everlasting Father. Hallelujah. He is the Counselor. He is all of it wrapped into one in this child. I'm going to encapsulate because he will be the Word made flesh. Luke would tell about his birth. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. Luke would tell about his birth. Matthew would describe his birth and John would describe his birth. And John's description is all the way to altogether different. Because he says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Hallelujah. And by the word, everything was made. And without him, there was nothing made that was made. And in him was life. And in him was light. And that light is the life of men. Now, so he goes right on and he brings it right on down and said, the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. This is the description of John, the eagle eye of that prophet, looking all the way back, seeing him come. The wise men are looking for a king. They're expecting a king. These were men from Persia, from what the, from what once was the ancient Babylonian kingdom that was now ruled by the Parthians during this time, and they were the leftover of the Greek empire. They kind of, you know, used Israel as a buffer zone, Rome did, between them and the Parthians as they were trying to control world powers and would move from the Greek into the Roman Empire. And so it would be these wise men that would be coming from the east. And, you know, was, you know they, they no doubt had studied the Hebrew scriptures and therefore they understood the timing of the, the, of the Messiah's birth and the sign that would lead them to the place where that he would be born. In the book of Daniel chapter 48, we find, or chapter 2 verse 48, that you will find that the king there made Daniel a great man and gave him great gifts and made him ruler over all the the province of, of Babylon and the chief governors and over all the wise men of Babylon. So you see, they had had a mentor, they had had a teacher, they had had a prophet. And that prophet had imparted them a knowledge that there was a Messiah coming. No doubt he had pointed out to Balaam's prophecy and said, there will be a star rise out of Jacob. You boys be looking for it, may not come in my generation, but he's coming. Let me just say this, you know, they had been looking for him for thousands of years, but he still came. And I wanna remind you, even though that some of us may lay down in the dust, he will still come. Amen, as I've said, he may come for you. You may be laying in front of this pulpit next week. We don't know. He may come personally for you, but he's coming. He made a promise in the scripture, and just as Jesus came the first time, Jesus will come again the second time. Again, in, in Daniel 4 and 9, it describes him as master. His name is Belteshazzar, Daniel's Babylonian name, master of the magician. So again, you see, he, he was a man, such a renowned prophet, the spirit of the holy gods was in him. And no secret troubleth thee. And, you know, tell me the visions of my dream I've seen and the interpretation there. They recognize that, you know, Daniel was a man, a great man, a prophet, and, and a master now, a magician. And so he had instructed these wise men to be looking and all the way, and Brother Brandon said, they were true worshipers of Jehovah. They really did, they believed in one God. They may not have followed all the principles of the the Israelites, but they had listened to Daniel the prophet and they knew the Messiah was coming. And oh, that there were wise men today, men and women that were looking for the Messiah. Gifted to see silence. Gifted to see, to be warned of God in a dream. Gifted to see the light of the star. Men and women who can be led by the spirit. Let me tell you something, friends. The days of that is not past. God is still equipping men and women. The Bible said, as I pour out my spirit, old men will see dream dreams, and young men will see vision. And upon my my handmaids and my servants, I pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. This is all a part of the last day ministry. I'll tell you what, don't get don't don't be expecting less of the supernatural. You expect more of the supernatural. Amen. You expect to be gifted in some way or another to be able to see and be warned of God, to be directed by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yes. Listen, they did it in Brother Bradham's ministry. They did it in times before. They, they would do, there would be people that were maybe not even connected with his ministry that would pray prayers. And all, uh, no black lady there waiting there wanting her son saved. And there having a dream of seeing the prophet of God come. You see, God would move in supernatural manners. He's done it all the way down. He'll do it even more in this end time. I'll tell you, get ready. You are in the midst of the pouring out of God's spirit. And you ought to say, God, let me be a wise man today that can be led in the spirit, that can be warned in a dream, that can see a vision, that can have an experience of people that know their God and do exploits. Well, God makes everything to praise him. Whether they knew it or not, they were testifying by their gifts that Jesus was, he was prophet, priest, and king. And these gifts would testify of that, prophet, priest, and king. And so he would, these gifts that were, were given, they would testify of him that, you know, that he, he would, would come from glory and serve mankind and through his death bring redemption. He would be born in a stable, be God's lamb. Brother Branham tells us a little bit about this. He explains how that gold spoke of his deity. Gold is deity, he said, that, you know, and he said frankincense is service. Murray's death, and he said his deity in service to die. And that's what he was. And the very gifts that they got are brought, identified what they thought he was. Remember, whatever you give, do something that is an honor. Amen. And so the first thing that we want you to know uh, about this is that first is recognizing his deity. Yeah. Amen. That's, right. that's the trouble of a lot of people they either want to make him a little Lord to the big Lord and two Lord doctrines even around the message or they want to make him less than, somehow less than God or they want to make him, you know, a junior God under God or they want to make him as the Trinitarians do, you know, the son of God and as the son of God, he's not, you know, he's, he's just one of those as the Catholics make him do, has to mind his mama so you pray to her, not to him. There's a lot of them, but God has made you wise that you recognize his deity, that he was not just a man. He was not just a little Lord. He was not just a prophet. He was not simply a priest. He was God himself made flesh. Amen, God made flesh. That's hard for people to swallow. You know that God, the Almighty, the Jews have trouble wrapping their minds around it today. How could the great Jehovah become a man? But he did. He was a creator and he was nothing less than God himself. He was God manifesting the flesh. He was a creator in his own creation. And there being creator, he was, he had made a creation. He stepped into him and he becomes the fullness of God. God created a body, therefore he was the son, the offspring. But he was God, for the Father dwelt in him. And he did all of this that he might save the lost creation. God did it. He cried out to a world that was cursed in sin. And, And the prophet would see him coming and he would say, Behold, I give you a sign. And it's, a, a virgin shall be with child. She shall conceive and bear a son and that'll be your sign. You know, I, I can imagine here he was actually to be given a sign to a king in that day, you know, that was looking for a sign. He's, and he got into the spirit and in such a way he said, you wanna see a sign? I'll show you a sign. Here's a sign, a virgin shall conceive, and bear a son, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. And I imagine about that time as he realized what he was saying, he wanted to jam all that back in his mouth. Right. Who ever heard of a virgin conceiving? Right. But now God has released it. Yeah. And now that word is gonna pass over for thousands or hundreds of years till it finds a virgin that will believe it. Amen. When it'll be the season and the time. And he said, here's your sign. What she brings forth will be Emmanuel, which is God with us. God came down in a blood cell, not through a man. Listen, this was conceived in, in her was of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You know, in that virgin womb, a, a tabernacle, of, uh for the purpose of death was built, God created his own body. amen the seed of the woman came in order that he could be bruised for our salvation. remember the woman has no seed so he gave her a seed but he not only gave her a seed he he placed the whole human the whole human embryo in him so, so that he wasn't half God and half man. Amen, Amen. he was all God. Amen. He was a new creation Amen. so that out of him there would come a whole generation of offsprings that would be of him who would also be of a new creation. Amen. Adam's lost race. Yet he redeemed them in one sense; in another way, he redeemed it by recreating the race.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: The seed of the woman came down in order that he could be bruised for our salvation. Listen, what God did—it was miraculous. It was wonderful. You know, I—I I was an, an animal. Well, I'll put it this way: an animal slave for many years. I. And a lot of my life, you know, in, in the dairy goat industry, raised some very, you know, champion. of, I think I had over 50 champion goats that we we raised and whatever. We learned a lot of things from artificial insemination, from preserving the sperm that can last for 50 years at least. We don't know how far it'll go. But, I mean, you know, that you can go back into a pedigree and bring forward a, a, a sire way back there and bring out his traits and whatever and 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 different things you can do but they come up with an embryo transfer and they found out that they could take the sperm of a of a valuable bull of a wonderful pedigree and the, and the sperm or the, the egg of a cow who was maybe a, a superior milk cow and and they could unite those two together through the process of fertilization, and, and there they would freeze that embryo and they would keep it preserved. And then many years later, you know, you pull that out of the nitrogen tank and it would be inserted right into um, into the, the womb of, a, of another cow and that cow would give birth. And when it did, that cow could be maybe indescribable, a, a cow of no description, no pedigree, just um you know, an average cow. But when it come out that baby was born, what was born out of her, she would be called its mother, would lick it, care for it, nurse it, everything, but it never was her baby. I want you to understand this is what God did. He took somebody, a, a nondescript little virgin girl out of a little tribe of, of Judah. Somebody help me. Amen. And hears that she would be, boy, she was there, little girl, knowing no particular family, no particular birth. And there he would, by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, he deposit both the, the ovum and the sperm together by the spoken word of God, yeah. not by sex, All the sin came by sex, but here one without sex comes to be of a new creation to breed us back to a birth. And this birth doesn't happen by sex, it's a new birth that happens by the overshadowing of the Holy Ghost too. So God was creating a whole new race. And in order to do this, God would make himself his own body By the word. This is why we say, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. Not a junior God. God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what we are worshiping today is the word made flesh. So therefore, You see, he would come as the seed of the woman that was promised in Genesis to be a serpent bruiser. In other words, to correct what the serpent had done. And so, as he came, you know, we know the Holy Ghost came upon Mary. He created within her the womb. And the womb uh, that uh, he created, the cell that would multiply, become the body of the Lord. Yet, it would be a fleshly body. As Mary ate... She ate carrots and lentils and beans and meat and whatever. It all would come and make cells in the body. And here would be this little infant now that would be born. And I want you to think of it. Here he comes in, in earth that is cursed because he became the curse, born under the curse. Because in Genesis, all the earth was cursed. And here now his body being made out of dust, a body that could die, a body that could, uh, that could get sick. Somebody help me preach. A body that could have deteriorated, but God said, I'll not leave his soul in hell, neither shall my holy one see corruption. So he could have, but nevertheless, he made him in that way where, where that he would become the curse. This is what God was doing. Yes. The great God above us yes. was coming with us. Amen. As the song we sang, oh, glorious mystery, yes. sacrifice of Calvary. Yes. How that God would come down in human flesh and dwell among us. Yes. And there at that river Jordan, I'm, I'm quoting from Proving His Word in Future Home. Brother Branham said he would take that cursed earth to the river Jordan and he would have it baptized. And he said, from this one that I'm redeeming, this part of the earth, I'm gonna redeem the rest of you. When you look at all of what Jesus did, all of his ministry, it was all for the sake of redemption, healing the blind, what's for redemption? Amen. raising up the dead was for redemption. Everything, that all of that is redemption. That's why we've got to have miracle signs and wonders because it's part of redemption. As long as the Holy Ghost is poured out, there's also going to be healings and miracles and signs and wonders. He created there a cell. It wasn't part Mary and part God. It was all God, yet it was made in the likeness of man. Think about it. God was manifested in the flesh, seen of man, received up in the glory. The perfect life of God went to Calvary. It would be there, he would offer up his life for you. This is what God did with his gift. You see, the perfect life of God, There was 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 given at Calvary, and he yielded it up to God, and shed his blood, and it was that that liberated it to come back upon the sinner who would accept Christ and His Savior. I want you to think about the story of His birth. It's more than a story. This is no Santa Claus tale. You know, Jehovah was born crying in a manure pot. Jehovah was born in a manger of straw. Amen. Listen, when the the wise men went to look for him, you know, as soon as they approached Jerusalem, their light went out because he was not there. But where he was was in little Bethlehem. And in little Bethlehem, the smallest of all of Israel, in the most humblest of places, but of the lineage of David, here would come the Messiah that would be born. And the shepherds were told, you'll find this young child, this Christ child, in a, in a barn, in a, in, in a stable, lying in a manger. This is a sign, and this is a sign of the end time. We've had our own time. You remember Israel, or Mary and Joseph, rather, they would move from the, from the, um, from the stable to a house. This is where the wise men found and moved from the stable to the house. That's our story. Evening Light Tabernacle, you were born in a manger. You were born in a forgotten old church. You were forgotten with a place with broken window panes. You were born poor and impoverished and nothing. But I want you to know that God has sent gifts to elevate you to a higher position. You're no longer having to be in a manger anymore. You're in a house of worship. We are blessed people today because of it. Are you with me? But here, there was Jehovah crying over manure fowl. Jehovah born in a manger of straw. There's your everlasting sign. Don't look like much of a sign, but it's a sign. Here will be the sign to you. It'll be a babe lying in a manger. It was Jehovah crying in a stinking bar, barn, I mean. You know, we, we, we sometimes we get so proud and we hold up our noses as it was. And, you know, we're criticizing everybody else and acting as though we were somebody. Here, here's the reason our family don't celebrate Christmas. You prideful little, I'll stop there. You fill in the blank. Here's the real sign you'll find him and you'll worship one lying in a manger. The wise men will worship one in a house. We don't have to stay in the stable. We can have a nice building. We can have a place of worship. We can have choirs sing. We can have my grandchildren bless us with songs as they did today. We We got a lot to thank God about because he has blessed us Amen, in every way he's blessed us. But I said, I'll give you a sign. It'll be an everlasting sign. It'll be Jehovah standing in the courtyard bruised and bleeding with thorns, spit on his face, mocked and set aside. Jehovah despised and rejected, hanging naked on a cross while hypocrites jeered and dared him to come off the cross. then Jehovah praying and nothing happening. You ever been there? I have. Then Jehovah died. It's the one sign to all men. It's a great sign. But he didn't remain in some grave. Darkness covered the earth and they put him in a grave in a tomb. In three days and three nights, he lay there till an earthquake shattered. The gloom of the night and the light came forth. And Jehovah came and Jehovah ascended on high. But that wasn't the end of him. I want you to know, he didn't just go in the heavens and disappear, amen. Because, but then Jehovah came to return to dwell in his church. amen. Jehovah came with a rushing mighty wind with flames of fire, Jehovah came back to walk in the midst of his church to empower his people. Once more, Jesus came, Jehovah came, and this time to dwell in us, to stay in his people. And today, Jehovah still heals the sick. Hallelujah. He still raises the dead. He still manifests himself by the Spirit. Jehovah come back speaking in tongues and giving the answer back in interpretation because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I tell you, not only does he heal the sick and raise the dead, but he'll reach right down and he'll raise the prostitute and up to where she sins no more. And he'll come down to the drunkard and the dopehead with the five loads in their face and a lost cause and a lost life and a wrecked home and a wrecked marriage and a wrecked family laying unconscious in a gutter and to overcome down and flesh and raise that sinner up and make a child of the living God out of him. Hallelujah. That's what I'm talking about. Amen. That's the star. That star wasn't only seen at his birth. That star was seen on the day of Pentecost as it came down like a whipping mighty fire and divided itself and 120 got the fire of God in them. if you get that light on the inside of you, it'll lead you to the Messiah, to the anointed word. There are people, the second death cannot hurt. It has no power over them. Jesus was that gold. And he said until the last age, you're going to have gold. You're going to buy it from me. Buy it. Yeah, buy it so you can be rich. Let me tell you, without him, you are in poverty. And I encourage you today to buy the gold. That means to sell out every other earthly treasure to have him. Another thing, this lamb born in the stable, the gold represented that he was king. It acknowledged his kingship. Because this is what they were looking for. Where is he? Born king of the Jews. We have seen his star in the east and we come to worship him. So do wise men today. They look for him as king. Follow my thought now. Amen. I know, not that we, you know, we just want him to bless us in heaven. No, he's our king. You see, the Bible said in Revelation 15, they saw us sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Hallelujah. So I want you to get a look at him. He may not be the world's king today. He may not be king over England. He may not be Lord over America. But he's your king. Amen. Amen. Because he's king of saints. Everyone who ever saw his light. And have been led to him. They have acknowledged him as their king. Right now. He is an office of priesthood. That's what he does, his present work. He right now has a throne of grace that we can approach to. As yet, he has not become, no matter what they say, he has not become the king yet. He's not in the office of Lion of the tribe of Judah, though he is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That's not his present office. His present office is priest interceding, we need it. I need him. You know why I need him? For my sins, for my unbelief. I need him, I need the blood, I need the Holy Ghost. Come on, that is the blood of God. Don't you know we don't have the chemistry of the blood, we don't have a splash, of the, we don't have a drop of the blood. We we have the life that was in the blood, which is the Holy Ghost. And if you have the Holy Ghost, you are born of the blood of God. That's what makes you a son or daughter of God. That's why you can say, His holy blood flows in my veins, not my body, my soul. now, he is the lamb. I want to ask you something. What happened? Who opened the seals? The lamb. He did it as a priest, not a king. Somebody help me. The revealing of the seven seals was come under the office of priesthood. Intercession. He took what we had lost, paid his blood, and won it back and took it for us to give it back to us. He did all of this as priest, not king. But he's coming, king. One day he'll be king of the earth, but not now. Listen, if he's king right now, Listen, then he's responsible for every murder, every rape, every problem, everything that's going on in the world, every evil, every abortion, everything. He's responsible because it's happening under his kingship. But he's not king. He is priest. And as priest, he's interceding for you to make sure you make it in the rapture. And to do that, he takes the book, he looses the seal, and he shows your name in it, and one day, he's calling for the names that are in that book, and you're going in a rapture. And then he becomes kinsman, avenger, and he pours out his vials upon the earth, and then he steps from right totally into the role as king and he becomes king with his queen for the millennium. He's not king now, not over the world, but he is king because he's king of saints. He's my king. Is he your king? He's my king. Oh, hallelujah, so therefore, you see, we serve a different king than that which the world serves. Hallelujah. Amen. The king that we serve is king of saints, and it's because we are from his kingdom. Amen. We are from the kingdom of holiness. That's why our women dress holy, and our men are holy. Come on, somebody. Yes. Amen. We we are from a kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace. That's why we already have righteousness and joy and peace. We don't belong to this world. And before Jesus becomes king of the earth, Satan will become the king of the earth. In the tribulation period, in the awful time when the wrath is poured out, We'll be enjoying a marriage supper. And then we're going to go away for a honeymoon right. of a thousand years and nobody's going to have to s- slip in some cards and some dominoes and some games because we might get bored there. We're going to walk out on the ashes of the wicked and we'll build and not another will inhabit Amen. Come on, we will witness to the heathen that are raised up. We will during the millennium. We will be. We will reign as kings and priests upon the earth. But right now, He is our King, King of saints. That's why our women don't dress in men's clothing, and our men don't dress in women's clothing. And that's why our women don't cut their hair and that's why our men cut their hair is because we are from another kingdom. Amen. That's why our men don't drink and carry on and smoke and, and uh, use pornography. You know, this pornography, you have to pay for it, so I'm told. You have to pay for it. You have to subscribe. You, have, you pay for that. It's 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 prostitution. It's fornication. It's adultery. If you're married, it's transgressing a marriage vow. But people who Jesus is their king, you don't collect a dime from them for pornography. They're of a different kingdom. They have different desires. Our dominion is a dominion over sin. And it's enforced through the power of of that sin, which is the spirit of Christ. It entwells us. And every kingdom on earth is going to be torn down. Let's go quickly. He was he was they brought him frankincense. Now, as a crown king, with, you know, he's got to have a sweet smelling savor that whoever comes to him can breathe of, of the aroma of his goodness. To get the aroma of the sweetness of his spirit, is he's the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the morning star, a sweet smelling savor who takes away all our sins and heals all our diseases. You know, you get him applied to your life, everybody can smell him. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't tell this story. Maybe I should. But I went to Uganda. While I was in Uganda, we went way down deep into into the... the inner regions. We got a call saying that someone in either Brother Hildebrandt's church or mine had had died. Well, there was some sickness in my church and I told Karen, I don't know. I don't have a number to give you. I don't know how to get a hold of me. I'm going to be with Brother Hildebrandt. The best way to do is call Brother Hildebrandt, his wife, and she'll make, she'll know contacts and they'll get a hold of us. So we get a, we get a call saying that someone had died in the church. I don't know if it's my church or whether it's Brother Harold's church. Well, it's somebody in the family. Well, we don't know if it's my family or his family. Well, we're preaching a meeting. Well, you know, Brother Hildebrandt has to leave the meeting and the only car... Where we got about eight, nine hundred people there. And the only car he has to take it and drive about five or six hours towards civilization. And there, go to, go to a, a place where you can book a telephone and call to the States. So he left me to preach. And I've got to preach through two interpreters. So I speak, and the man speaks, another speaks, and I speak to another man. So you know, they got their money's worth that day. <laughs> they didn't sit on nice pews. I know some people complain about the seat you're in, Brother Joseph, back there and Sister Michelle, because it's a little bit short and the knee wall. You wouldn't complain a bit if I took you to Africa, and you sit on a little wooden side piece like this, an old rough board, and your shoulder to shoulder, and your shoulder is sitting in behind the other guy's shoulder because so many are packed into the building. So anyway, it's a couple of miles to the meetings from where I was staying, and when I say a hotel, didn't have running water. It 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 was dirty. It wasn't modern. It wasn't convenient. It was just a place to lay your head, and you know what little infrastructure was there was from fifty years before when the English was there. And so there was a tub in there, and you call for bath, and they bring a little jerry jug and put a five gallons of water or something in your tub, and you get in that and you take a bath. So, to flush the toilet, you got a bucket of water to flush the toilet. And so, you know, you're, you're way back there, and I'm preaching. Well, I've I got to get to the meeting. So, to get to the meeting, I ride on a motorcycle. They arranged for a guy to come with a motorcycle, pick me up, take me to the meeting. Yeah, you'd have loved it, kids. <laughs> there your pastor is. Going to church with his little briefcase, riding on a motorcycle behind the driver. Well, anyway, they made arrangements for him to come and knocks on my door. And I said, just a minute, I'll be there. I'll grab my stuff, grab my coat, grab my, my satchel, close up my notes, and run out the door. And I look right and I look left and nobody's there. But I smell him. I follow my nose around, this is the truth, around the corner, around the way, around there, and I found him. Oh, you came to get me? Yes. I didn't know yet I'm riding a motorcycle. I have to ride behind this guy, smelling him all the way, all the way to the meetings. So when I talk about enjoying sweet fragrance... I know what kind of stinker I was and what kind of stinker a lot of you were. Let's just be sure that you understand you were just stinking, wretched humanity. And that's what God had become. Oh, don't cut me out yet. Amen, that's what God had become. God had become into stinking human flesh. And he needed the aroma from heaven, and God provided frankincense. Hallelujah! To provide a sweet smelling savor, so you, the speaker, wouldn't speak no more. And I could go to this church, and I could smell a sweet smelling savor as I look over lives that have been changed. came in their life and when he's in their life the frankincense is in the life and it makes a sweet smelling savor frankincense represents worship Jesus must be the theme of our worship frankincense made up the incense that was mixed with prayer amen the name of Jesus must accompany every prayer we pray Jesus has got to be in it Unless Jesus is in your prayer, it's in vain. And I don't mean a tradition, I mean the life of Jesus. Get him in you and your prayer will mean something. But your prayer will mean something just by coming and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I come to your name for salvation from this state that I'm in. Not only must Jesus be the theme of our Christmas, he must be the theme of our message. God did send a prophet in our day like John. He was not that light, he was sent to bear witness of the light. Jesus is the true light that lighteth every man that cometh in the world. You see, all the Bible testifies of him and that must be our testimony. And I just wanna say, a lot is being drawn of the picture of Christ and who he is today and no, no doubt a lot of Christmas sermons try to describe him and his life and his birth and all of that. But whatever picture you're making of Christ, it must be the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, somehow have a Santa Claus, and he'll take you into heaven any way you wanna live. Because that's what they have painted into the picture, is a fiction story of a message past and a day gone by, instead of a Christ that heals, a Christ that delivers, a Christ that saves. But brother, we want to see a picture of Jesus Christ that shows he's still the one who who saves the lost. He's still the one that heals the sick. He's still the one that can raise the dead. He's still the one I'm depending on to change my mortal body in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. This is not a Santa Claus story. It's the truth. Let me go quickly, right quick. He's gotta be the theme of our life, the third gift. For the king was myrrh. It's a fragrant, bitter tasting gum resin exuded from several different plants of Arabia and East Africa. It's used for making incense and perfume. It's highly prized for embalming. In fact, to the matter, they brought myrrh to put on the body of Jesus after he died. It spoke of his death. Myrrh represented his supreme sacrifice. He crushed out his life at Calvary where the sins of the world had ground him to bits. Closing on this scripture, Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? See, the arm of the Lord is power. He will grow up before him as a tender plant, as a baby in the manger, and as a root out of dry ground in the most unlikely country of Israel for the most humble city in that country. He hath no form of comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, And we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our grief and carried our sorrow. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquity. Nothing he did. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He, brought, he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and the sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was. Cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of the people as he' stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. and because he had done no violence, neither hath he was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days in the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I want you to notice, if you just go back in verse 8, when it talks about his death, verse 8, taken from prison from judgment, who shall declare his offspring. That's what generation means. He, he, he had no offspring, naturally, physically. But notice, in the travail of his soul, when it pleased the Lord to, dwell, to bruise him, and to verse 10, he had put him him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Amen. I want you to know it's in his death and the giving of his life, which is the Holy Spirit, that he was able to see offspring. Amen. How wonderful it is when you look at you today and realize it was because he was wounded. Because he gave his life. That's why he has you this morning as sons and daughters of God. Because he was willing to take the bitter myrrh. Now, a star rise out of Jacob. You are here in the last day. It was said and it's been told whether truth or fiction, I don't know. Some of it could be truth, some of it fiction. Some of it is credible, some of it may not. But I do know this part of it, this part I know. Brother Branham was walking along as a young man, and an astrologer stopped him and said, Sir, come here, you that has that star falling behind you. And he says, No, no, I I, I don't want to hear from you. And he kept going. And she said, You don't have to act like that. They were on a train and, and uh, there was a sailor boy there with him, and, and she said, uh, You know, I have to act like that. I can tell you when you were born. And she said, he said, oh, No, you can't. Yep, April the 6th, 1909. How did you know that? Tell this sailor his birth. I can't. You were born under a sign. You see, when the stars lined up, this was her story, When the stars lined up, there were three stars and she said they would identify Ham, Shem, and Japheth, which the, the tribes of the earth come from, the three tribes of Noah. And said they would all line up because this Messiah would be for all nations. And they would line up at his birth and this is the star that the wise men saw. And then she went on to tell him that in commemoration of his birth ever so many generations stars will line up and god will send gifts to the earth minor gifts like that original gift similar to that but offer that gift to the earth to bless the people of the earth with now you know, I really can't vouch for everything the astrologer says. I, in fact, Brother Branham said she had a strange spirit, and he said, I've always been sensitive to spirits, so maybe it's of a doubtful origin. I don't know. I do know that Brother Branham talked about three stars lining up, and he said to him what it represented was the Trinity of God becoming one. And God becoming flesh, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost manifested as one star to the earth to be king. Be king of saints. But I want to talk about just for a moment as we close about the star that shall arise out of Jacob because we are the spiritual Israel. And I want you to remember that there were seven stars in the hands of Jehovah. And these seven stars were to be lights during seven church ages. And I want you to think of this as the message that we received is, is the actual message that Paul preached. In it is bits of what Wesley preached and what Luther preached and all the other stars down to the ages. You know, I I described the message, and I may speak of this again in this parabolic form. The message, Brother Brandon said, my message is not a new message. I am tying the loose ends together. So the loose strands of, the strands of truth that Luther had and Wesley had, and all these others had, he would take them and tie them into one rope. So it's like 10 men, Describing an elephant. One man, he will get us along and he'll walk up to the great elephant and feel its big sides. And he said, boys, I-, I can tell you what an elephant is. It's just a big kind of bristly, stiff and wrinkly wall. Another will grab the tusk and said, you're as crazy as a betsy bug boy. Now, remember, they're all blind. And he said, I, I tell you, I reached up, and he had grabbed the tusk. And he felt this shiny object or slick object, and comes to a point. It's long and slick. That's what an elephant is. It's, it comes to a point, and, oh, I, you know, it, it could be dangerous. I, you know. Another one said, boys, you're nuts. He has grabbed the tail. He said, elephant's are rope with fragment ends. And another says, "Uh uh-uh, it's a tree trunk. He's grabbed the leg and the feet. You see, they all had a part of the elephant, but they didn't have the clear picture. And that's what we have had. Every denomination has truth. And they are describing part of the element, the elephant as it was. And they're denominated over, no, we're sure it's a rope. No, no, it's a, uh, it's a hose of some sort. No, it's a shiny object. No, it's a wall. No, it's. And they all have their description and they're describing parts of it, but they don't see it all. Amen. But God sent us a seer. Amen, just like the prophet of old, I see thee, there is a star rising out of Jacob. And he looks and he sees, and I I want you to understand, in our day, it really wasn't just three stars, it was seven stars of seven ages and their messages that all lined up together to make one bright and shining light to lead you to the Messiah so that you can know the anointed word of your day and expose the darkness and lead it into truth. And that's why we can rejoice in the great shining light. God bless you. I love you with all my heart. Merry Christmas.
2: We can say praise the Lord, Amen. Let's just sing that key of G. I worship you, Almighty God, Amen. I ask the grandchildren to come back up here again. Help me sing that song. It's Christmas, Amen. I worship you,
3: Almighty God there is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. That is what I long to do. I give
2: dismiss To if you have a baby that's maybe immune-depressed de- or whatever they call it, that's not quite all up-to-date on shots and such, and you'd like to leave, that's fine. Um, but we're going to do something a little different. I know normally we dismiss, and we just leave this place, and we can keep it very uh, holy and, and things, and that's, that's fine, and that's what we do. And, but at this moment, we just want to take a time. If you'd like to turn around greet your neighbor before you leave And just tell them Merry Christmas and God bless you. Amen. And then you can see yourself out. Amen. Just take your time. Go to different ones. Amen. It's Christmas.